0: Welcome to The Gather Podcast. This podcast is my journey to inspire us to reconnect. Reconnect to ourselves, the environment, and to each other. In this first episode, I was fortunate enough to be joined by a friend and founder of War Handplanes, Ricky Gilby. War is a body surfing brand committed to reducing the impact on the earth. And over the last few years, Ricky's been doing some really amazing and impactful work in recent times, he launched a product called The Bad Fish, which is a hand plane made from recycled ocean plastics. The product has gone on to be very successful and has begun to pave the way for the future of recycled products and ethical business. On a personal level, Ricky's inspired me to pursue a career of passion. And I think his business motto sums that up very, very well. More waves, less plastic. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ricky. If you've got any feedback or want to know a little bit more, reach out and we can continue the conversation.
1: You're left left like with your own thoughts and your own head so much more than you normally would be.
0: Also like having all that time to just like consume media, consume yeah. social media and stuff like that. And just like go down weird rabbit holes and you're like, what am I doing? Like this isn't producing any sort of. Sanity. Yeah. I've
1: made a um, kind of a commitment to myself. i will kind of like try to broaden my spectrum of media input uh, to the point i on like socials. So I'm kind of following people who I don't agree with following people who I don't, Necessarily understand, um, and it's funny how it all works. Because as soon as you start following a few people in that kind of space, mm. you just opened up to their whole world, and it's it's pretty like mind broadening when you start following all these people that think completely differently to you and have completely different beliefs to you. Um, but I think it's it's only a good thing to understand how everyone's thinking. Uh, I've, made a, I've made a real active commitment to that, but it's pretty scary. can be pretty, can be pretty funny, um, but it's, yeah, because yeah, socials just get stuck in that. Did you watch that documentary? Um, I can't even remember what it's called now, around the, the social media bubble.
0: I never watched it. No, I never watched the social dilemma. That's I haven't what? seen it yet.
1: Um, it's It's pretty enlightening in terms yeah. of how it just traps you in your little your own little bubble. It only feeds you what you want to hear and what you want to read. Um, and you get trapped yeah. in there. Uh, so, yeah, I watch that and, and from that as well, I kind of just try to at least broaden my understanding of, of how people think.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think if you don't do that, you just end up in like a little echo chamber, right? Like you yeah, just, your own
1: world.
0: You become closed-minded. You don't learn anything. Yeah. And I think like when I... Re- Exactly. Yeah. You're not learning, you're not growing. And I think that's when I reflect on everything that's going on. Like there's a lot of closed mindedness and like someone might have a differing opinion to you, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're exactly. wrong. Which is like, is a hard thing to deal with. And I think that's good that you're, you're trying to listen to other people. It's well, like, it's no less it, truthful it, than your truth. Same.
1: It works both ways. Like if you only really get fed what you want to hear day in, day out, you don't believe that mm. there's any other, possibility so you you just feel yeah. like you're right yeah. all the time because you just constantly you know your your beliefs are constantly like confirmed every single day with the stuff that you read and get subjected to only when you broaden that that you realize and maybe you start questioning yourself and you know just double check that you know what you're saying and what you're thinking is you know have you seen the whole picture
0: yeah yeah yeah, it's it's like that that adage: question everything. Like you, you should always be questioning yourself and and your beliefs because like they form the basis of your existence. And like if you're not questioning them, you just you stay stuck in old Absolutely. ways. Um, yeah. Who are you? Who are you following at the moment on Instagram? That's different.
1: Uh, I wouldn't. I can't remember the names. They've all got in, like different handles as well. A lot of them don't want to put up their names and stuff so I mean off the top yeah. of my head I
0: wouldn't be able to remember any of the names uh, yeah okay yeah hmm. um, all right well this is like a really good place to start because the reason why I've like decided to do this podcast is a firstly it kind of made me think how often I'm just observing things as opposed to creating things and I think there's a lot of people myself included that sit on the sidelines and just watch all this stuff unfold. And you might, same thing, you might just be sitting in your little echo chamber and you're constantly just hearing the same things. And like you just form part of that belief system as opposed to offering something that could be potentially different or creating a a different um, reality. And the main reason why I wanted to get you on, because I wanted to have a conversation about creating a better world. And I think, when I look at your mission and everything that you've done, I, I see that like shine through massively and going against the grain is just something that seems pretty natural to you, um, which is like a very rare thing to to see in today's age. So I wanted to start by just conversing on where did that sort of desire to be different or desire to go against the grain come from for you?
1: I get, I get that kind of question quite a lot around war and it's setup, and like why I made the choices that I did. Um, and I feel like for me, it wasn't necessarily even like a genuinely conscious decision. It was just like, yeah. why would I do it any other way? Like if I was going to start a business um, and the way I wanted to live my life, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it in a way that negatively impacted the world at a minimum. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of grew into the whole um, environmental impact stuff with war. I started off wanting to make and create something that didn't negatively impact the world and mm-hmm. then just had these cool ideas um, to do this other stuff around ocean plastics and um, planting trees and stuff. And the more I kind of read into that world and the more I kind of, challenged myself against it, I realized that there was so much stuff that needed to be done and so much kind of Mm. possibility for, for change and action in there. Um, so I really grew into that side of it. Like it was always just an innate thing in me, like, don't harm the thing that you love the most, the outdoors environment. So that started off as that. And then because I was in that world, I was kind of talking to, A lot of people in that field, um, it just kind of morphed into this awesome thing. And I just, I just followed along. Um, You know, I had a few, few good ideas. Um, But then, yeah, I think also I, I don't like to be told that you can't do something because it's hard. And that was a really big thing for me when I, when I came up with the idea for the Ocean Plastics project with the hand plane I faced a lot of negativity and don't bothers. it's impossible it's too hard it'll be too expensive Um, but having the knowledge knowing that it hadn't been done before in Australia so no one really knew what it would cost and knowing that it had been done to a certain degree elsewhere in the world like I just couldn't I couldn't take that I couldn't take the don't do it because it's hard I was like, that, that for me was like a, it's a, it's a, I have a competitive nature anyway. I was like, just because it's hard yeah. doesn't mean you can't do something. So I think the kind of innate wanting to do something kind of that doesn't hurt the world combined with my competitiveness to do something that was challenging and hard kind of sent me down that path of doing the impossible, which was turning contaminated ocean plastics into a product that people can go and have fun with and catch waves and surf with. And it all just morphed in together. Um, but yeah, for me, it just seems a given. Why, why would you do something that would damage the thing that you love the most?
0: Yeah. It's so bizarre that our, like society thinks that is the impossible thing. Yeah. Like, we should be working in cooperation with with nature and and not harming. It's like the thing that sustains us most. Yeah, and yeah, I believe that most people that are out there
1: are who do enjoy the nature, and do enjoy being in the outdoors, mm. and whether it's on land and hiking or in the ocean and swimming and surfing and stuff like. That. so you you've got to think the same way. You can't love that side of it and not want yeah. to take care of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's within all of us as well. Like I think that. For being human like it's just sort of this sort of innate response that we have that we are connected to our natural environment and we do deeply care but we often just forget
1: yeah and i think that's well i think that this whole pandemic thing that we're facing now is just reminding everyone the value of it too right when you remove it from your lives and you, you get told that you can't spend time outdoors or you can't go and access that whenever you want and with every you- Whoever you want, all of a sudden you really start to appreciate what you had. Um, you know, we mm. see that. I see that. I see that just in sales. I remember um, last year when we all got locked down. Like we had a hard lockdown, and all the beaches were closed, and no one was allowed in the water or anything. It was this really weird time. And I remember there was a wobbly period with my business. That you know, I sell surf products, so I was like. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're going down here. Like no one's going to the ocean. No one's like getting outdoors. Like what's going to happen? And there was like a two-week period where it was all a bit crazy and nothing. Kind of everything just stopped. But then I think what was really awesome was that even though no one could access the beaches in Sydney, especially people just started buying surf gear. Just the the trapped indoors and being told that they couldn't do something and couldn't go to the ocean, couldn't go to the beach. They were like. Right. Well, if I'm not going to be able to go, I'm going to start thinking about it. I'm going to start planning for it. I'm going to get all this cool stuff. I'm going to get out there when I can. And people just started really appreciating the beach again properly. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. Everyone was locked in their houses, was dreaming of being outdoors. And like for us, it was great because we were one of the lucky ones. We got we got some extra sales in that mm-hmm. period. But yeah, I thought that was just fascinating. You know, like you remove something straight away from someone, especially the environment, and people just.
0: Appreciate
1: Crave
0: it absolutely yeah that's so it is so interesting like and it's just observing people like that was probably the biggest change people just posting stories on their instagrams like going for runs on the beach or going like hiking or something and it's like i never saw this before because people were so busy to stop to do that but when you're forced to stop you're like oh like what do i actually want to be doing i want to go for a surf like it's just it's fun it's like, makes you feel connected, you feel alive.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just that highlight on the benefits of being outdoors as well, right? Like when you're stuck inside, yeah. <clears throat> that's all you want to do. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to know the stats around, you know, whether exercise has increased since lockdowns began. Like, you know, per, yeah. per person, yeah. like number of hours exercising or amount of movement you do each day. Where the that's increased because if it's your only time chance to get outdoors um, I'd, I'd be super interested to
0: know yeah that. yeah i think it also does like depend on on who you're viewing there like i think like 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 we said before like if you are just observing the same people and you're living in the same little echo chamber you can forget the other side mm-hmm. the people that that might not have the inspiration or I suppose the push to go and do those things. And I think that's where, like, I don't, I don't really know what the answer is for that, but trying to get um, everyone reconnected with the natural environment to some degree is, is like a really strong pull for me um, because we, we obviously know how powerful and, and life changing and, and that it can be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There are, uh, I consider myself very fortunate. To be someone
0: that
1: lives where I do, lives in the country that I do, have access to what I do—it's, um, yeah, there are there are a lot a lot less fortunate than I am. For that, I am extremely grateful.
0: Yeah, for sure, it's a very yeah fortunate position to be in. Um, tell me a little bit more um, about the initiative with the plastics and how that sort of came into fruition because that's like when you said like you had that competitive nature just to go out and do that thing like it wasn't an easy decision for you to make like that was well, quite a quite a hard the thing idea, is that right?
1: the beginning it felt like it was an easy decision because for me i I'd, right. re- I'd reached a point in the business where because um, I was manufacturing all the, the product out of timber I was hand making every single yeah. hand plane and yeah it got to a point where yeah I'm full-time job was in the workshop making hand planes and then I was trying to sell them on the side Um, so I knew I needed to scale up anyway I needed to outsource manufacturing Mm -hmm. so I could spend the time on growing the company Um, and I was just like well what's the quickest way to manufacture products and I was like plastics it's super like a wooden hand plane would take me two hours to make over the space of a week you know and a plastic hand plane would is a matter of seconds, essentially, in a mold. But then, obviously, I'm not going to be using virgin plastics. So then I was like, "Well, it's to be used in the ocean. I'll just make it out of plastic pulled out of the ocean." Like that was just a a simple thing in my head, and I was like, "Well, I'll just I'll go online and I'll, I'll buy some ocean plastics that have been processed and melt it down and make it into something new." Um, so that was that was the easy decision. But that was just a lot of naivety showing through. <laughs> I was like, it'll be easy. It'll be fine. Surely that's the thing. Like, I'll just do that. And then it was only when I started to kind of dig into that idea that I realized that it was not only going to be hard, but it also never been done before in Australia. And to me, that blew my mind. And I was yeah. like, how has it never been done before? It's just because it's hard. Like, mm. why has it never been done before? Um, And so then that's when it kind of, that's when that competitive thing sparked And I was like, well, if it's never been done before, it's not impossible, let's just do it. it. Um, But I remember like when I first came up with the business plan for it, I had it all written down and, you know, my initial plan was um, from idea to first production run and launch to market was three months. I was like, I'll get some stuff shipped in. It'll take me a couple of weeks, then I'll get a mold. That'll take me a few weeks and then we'll just, you know, make a few and then I'll work out the branding and and market it. Uh, But yeah, three months was a bit of a joke. Um, In the end, it it took three years. Um, But then once you get your foot in the door to something like that and you have that competitive, like, part of you, you just don't let go. And yeah, I got my foot in the door Mm. I realized what that space was like in that it was just severely lacking in infrastructure and didn't have any capacity in Australia to do it. And once I kind of learned that and I realized that I was in a position to potentially be that person who set something up and started something in Australia. Um, and I had the idea, I had the product, um, and I had the drive. I was like, I can't, I can't say no to this. Um, so that's, I just dived in and, and, you know, Put my heels down and was like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And just push through and push through and push through. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure a lot of people were getting pretty frustrated with me at the end because, you know, I was just pushing and pushing and pushing and, um, yeah, because you got to just try and change people's perspectives and thoughts on things, which is really hard. People who have already been working in that space, in the space of plastics recycling and manufacture and stuff they have their firm kind of beliefs as to what's possible and what's going to make money. And um, Mm. it was changing those people's thoughts and opinions, which was difficult. And the only way to really do that was um, to prove it. Um, So we had to just kind of invest in like a mold um, and say, look, if I buy the mold and we start putting some material in, if you show me that it's impossible, I'll back down. Um, and so yeah we just kind of kept pushing and pushing and pushing and so grateful that that my persistence managed to change the minds of the right people and created the right partners for the supply chain and then yeah we we Mm. got it off the ground so yeah a lot of naivety going in which i think helped if i knew the challenges before i had the idea if i knew how long it was going to take and how hard it would have been like pre-idea, I probably wouldn't have come up with the mm-hmm. concept. I would have just put it on the list and then try to do something a little, a little easier, but still a challenge.
0: Yeah. I think that's like you mentioned that naivety is a blessing. Like it's oftentimes when we do overanalyze things, we just stunt the, the whole process. Like we, st- stop ourselves from starting like by trying to make everything perfect and i've been there so many times and i think that's it's a powerful thing to do to kind of just like just start and not like really care about the perfection side of things because as you said like it it took three years like it did take a long period of time but had you known it was going to take three years you probably wouldn't have started well yeah exactly
1: and like now i'm like facing the same situation again you know like i We've managed to successfully create this ocean plastics campaign. I want to launch into some new spaces mm-hmm. and do some new things, but the things that I want to do now are going to be super challenging, um, and I'm aware of the amount of time and effort and work that needs to be involved to do those things. And so now I'm on the other side of things. I'm not naive anymore. So I understand. I understand the challenges involved in doing some of this stuff. So now I have to kind of take that on and do it anyway. Um, mm. So it's interesting. It's interesting. But I'm kind of at that stage again now where I'm like, okay, what can we do next and where can we go? And I know the work that's going to be involved if I do something, if I take on something that either hasn't been done before or it's going to be super challenging. Mm. How do I do that? And even knowing that it's going to be this big, big thing again, but we'll see
0: yeah yeah it's like that for me always i kind of come back to physical training with that one like you seek adversity the more times you seek it the stronger the muscle becomes or the adaptation becomes a little bit easier yeah. so like it it is a trainable thing the more times that you put yourself in those uncomfortable or adverse risk-seeking situations like you do start to become a little bit I wouldn't say natural is probably not the right word. You still definitely feel the same sensations of feeling uncomfortable, but it's almost like a no brainer. It's just a, a natural state for you to go into. No, it's
1: a good comparison. It's, it's very similar to yeah, training mm-hmm. and exercise. And once you've kind of done the hard yeah. yards and you've got to a point where you're super happy and then you know, you're back off and you want to get back to where you were or do the same thing again, it's that knowing the, the effort that's
0: required, but doing it anyway. Yeah. Done it and yeah, yeah you'll get there quicker yeah. second time around mm. what do um, what do those new projects look like is there anything that you can sort of disclose? yeah like I'm just essentially one of the biggest things I'm trying to do
1: is just establish a much larger supply chain like on a on a, on right. a big industrial scale within Australia like one thing that mm. when I set up the supply chain I for, for myself and from my product I knew that it was limited in that, you know, it could supply a large amount of plastics. We process thousands of kilos of ocean plastics every year, but it's only enough to service my needs at the moment. So I can only really use, I can't offer the material to anybody else. If there's anyone else out there that was thinking the way that I was and want to start these new projects, I would love to be someone who could be like, hey, look, I'll help you out. I've got all this material. I've got access to all this stuff. Like rather than you spend three years trying to set something up, I'm here to help and we can start using a lot more of this material. And, but at the moment I can't quite offer that. Um, I mean, it's a great thing. Our, Our product is going really, really well. And we're producing as much product as we can with the material that we have access to. Um, so at the moment, yeah, I'm just working on this big project to really scale up the supply chain. I wanna I wanna turn kind of as much ocean plastics into a usable resource as possible. And then offer it to everyone else. Yeah. Like one thing I've always been proud of with the bad fish since its launch is that it's it's such a positive case study for what can be done with ocean mm. plastics. And you know, ocean plastics are the hardest material, hardest plastic material that you can recycle it's it's heavily contaminated it's degraded um it's it's so mixed and if like with the bad fish it's proof that you can use ocean plastics and create something that is you know technically sound and profitable and for me it's like because i I mix the ocean plastics with curbside material so in the hand planes we have 33 percent ocean plastics and we have 66 percent um, curbside material so material that's from domestic recycling bins now one thing that mm. I kind of learned along the way is that that curbside stuff the recycled post consumer material you can just buy that but you just you just order yeah. it you just buy it there's, there's this system set up in Australia to process domestic household waste um, and you can just buy it so for me and that's way purer way cleaner than ocean plastic. So for me, I just love the fact that, you know, the bad fish is proof that if you can use ocean plastics, these degraded contaminated materials to make a useful product, a lifestyle product that people love and can enjoy, there is no excuse Mm. why manufacturers and product developers and business owners out there aren't using the more readily available, cheaper, cleaner curbside material that's just there ready to be purchased and put into your products. Like, why are we still buying the virgin material when the resource is already there? Mm. It's already being processed. Just go out there and buy it other than the product. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, I do love it that yeah we get a lot of people be saying that they've been inspired by the fact that we're using these ocean plastics and they've started incorporating you know, 10, 20, 30% recycled stuff into their products, which is kind of the goal. But yeah, I just want to go one level above that and offer them material as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well it's such a, a powerful thing to share. I think it's that's great that you're gonna do that. That'll be epic to see heaps of other companies doing the same thing. Um and I think like it's it's a nice perspective to have that like we don't always need to be like creating something new in order to feed our consumption. Like we've got the resources, we can close the the chain, like we don't have yeah. to keep like beating the the system that we're in, like we can take a, a step step right and go, hey, like we don't need to create all this waste. No, a, we can just reuse it. Like we've got enough in there. Something like eight
1: billion tons of plastic has been created since its invention in the fifties. If we, mm-hmm. and every single piece of that still exists in some form. Um, yeah. Like if that that
0: imagine how many yeah. be. <laughs> but that that
1: material if we started just recouping and recycling that material that will like keep the world going for the next yeah. 20 or 30 years without having to produce a mm. single bit of extra plastic um, but the scary the scary part is now like with the the current state we're in you know just simply the, the production of new virgin plastics is growing so exponentially that it's just yeah. sin- simply yeah. outpacing our ability to recover and recycle it. So that's, that's why the plastics issue is yeah. uh, a genuine crisis, is because it's just getting exponentially mm. worse. Um, with all the heightened information yeah. and knowledge now around the impacts of plastics, it still blows my mind as to the amount of plastics that are being produced today. You know, it's, it, it is just like the, the amount of plastic we've produced in the last like, three to five years it's like the equivalent to the amount of plastics made in the first 50 years of its production combined. It's just mind blowing.
0: Yeah.
1: People don't realize that like they yeah. think that because the whole world is now knowledgeable around the impact of plastics and everyone's reducing their plastic use and consumption and production, mm. that that's actually happening, but it's not. We're, we're producing way more plastics than we've ever done in our, in our existence.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's such a, a big moneymaker. Like it's such a big industry. And yeah, it comes down to the dollar figure a lot. Yeah. it's um, What's cheaper? What's quicker? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, what service is the demand as quickly and as efficiently as possible in the now without yeah. considering the future. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, I've been listening a lot to a guy named Charles Eisenstein. Have you heard I of him? I haven't. It, it, I he'd be right up your alley. He's like a phenomenal speaker, and um, he's got a, a a good book called um, I think it's called The World Creating the World Our Hearts Know Is Possible or something like that. I'll I'll send it to you. But essentially, he's saying like he is proposing like an alternative future, and the main sort of relevance here is that he's saying that a it'd be wonderful or possible to get to a place that an environmental decision becomes economical. Like the two are intertwined. It's not an environmental decision and an economical decision. It'd be like our natural state is almost to be in both, to be fruitful to both things as opposed to it just being just environmental or just being economical. And I think that's where, like, it's cool that you're paving that path to, to draw the two together. Like, you've shown that mm-hmm. uh, an environmental product is producing economical rewards. Well, that like is, like it, you said, your, your that, product's going That up. is the,
1: the heart of sustainability, right? I think the word sustainability has been thrown around so much now that it's kind of like its true meaning has kind of got almost lost a little bit. Like, sustainability to, like, mm. sustain something. Like, if you, and if it's in economics, like, you want your economy to be sustained. You want your product, your business to be sustained over the long term. It's not you're not in it for just the short short term gains. And you know, if you're yeah. destroying the world in which your product is supposed to live in and, and be used in, it's not sustainable there. anymore. Yeah. So yeah, of course they're supposed to be combined. Like that is that's longevity, that's sustainability.
0: Mm. Yeah. So true. Um what do you see as like the, obviously you, you want to change the um, availability of those, those resources. Um, but what do you see the main way forward in changing the system? At a whole? It has
1: to be, you, you have to turn, like the first thing you're going to do when you empty a bath is you turn the tap off, right? Like we've got to start, turn the tap off of, of the plastics production. Um, we can't yeah, keep producing yeah. new stuff, new materials using new resources, and um, that's that's the first mm. step. Just reduce and stop the production of new stuff. Without yeah. without that, like yeah. the the crisis is only going to worsen. Um, but unfortunately, yeah. to do that, we need to prove that the stuff that's already out there is a valuable resource and offer ways to mm. recoup and recover it in a you know economically viable way um and so it's just going to take a lot of kind of input from people like myself and hopefully much much larger companies and um, to prove that that can be done and can be yeah. done on scale and um, it's only when that mm. becomes kind of reasonably economically viable for large companies that that's even going to be considered um, but yeah i think that's in terms of in regards to the plastics crisis only um, the way like turn the tap off and then clean up the mess afterwards Uh, yeah i'm fully i'm fully aware like my my offering to the solution to the plastics crisis is very much at the very end of the line like it's cleaning up the mess um uh, you've got to stop the mess being created in the first place we're only offering a solution to one very small part of it um it's just pulling the material out of the ocean like The ultimate goal is obviously to have no material in the ocean to pull out whatsoever and to stop it at source. Um, So there's a very like the the cradle to cradle principle is something that I strongly believe in, in terms of production, like Mm -hmm. producing products and materials that um, can be disassembled and recycled and reused and repurposed again but it's factored into the design in the first place. Um, it's it's yeah. made to be recycled with that in mind. Um, and that yeah. needs to be a big yeah. thing too. Like we can't be making things that are designed to be disposed of after a single use or, or anything like that. Like Recyclability yeah. has to be a massive thought process behind developing new products and that's just everything that's not that's not yeah. just plastic that's, that's everything
0: that we make. yeah i was just going to say like that's that's a value there like that is something that we as consumers and humans can change like it's the value to close that loop like it's a that's um something that we actually have power over and i think like if more people start doing what you're doing with their business and more people start to have these conversations or start to think in a way where the value is placed on reduction and recycling and, um, and that's seen as a positive thing. Like that can powerfully change. Like mm. if you, if you know that the power lies in your hands, you're more likely to enact a change. Exactly. And I like that thing about
1: applying value to stuff too. It, it changed as soon as you apply value to something, your perception of it changes so much. I mean, talking from my perspective now, like, mm. If I'm, if I'm walking the beaches and cleaning the beaches of plastic, I don't look at it as plastic anymore. I'm like, oh, this is future hand planes. You know, this is uh, <laughs> get a whole shopping bag full of plastic, and I'm like, that's one hand plane at some point. You know, like,
0: yes.
1: the same change of perception of the whole thing. And like, I, I would love to think that anyone and everyone that's used our stuff kind of develops that kind of sense as, as well. So when they're out and about, like, they don't see it as, as a waste material anymore. Like it's, it's become a resource. Mm. You know, this is this resource just lying around littering our environment. Um, and so let's just use it. Like it's got value.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's I was looking at your website the other day and it's well, one of the first lines was make waves, not plastic. Was that, is that right? Make waves, not plastic, uh, more
1: waves, less plastic,
0: more waves, Less plastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, that is just, that's what it's about. It like, um, and when we went for a surf, or is it probably like a month or two ago? And I, I was going to go out in the wooden hand plane, you're like, oh, have a go on the plastic one. I was like, oh, yeah, this would be sick. And it was such an epic session. I was like, there's no difference in what happened. I got heaps of barrels and it was, it was so cool. And like the products, the exact same.
1: Yeah. It's, it's all modeled off the same design. It's just, yeah. It's,
0: yeah. Um,
1: I'm really proud of the badfish. I'm really proud of how it's gone. Not, not, not even just in the world of recycled ocean plastics. Just in its own, like one of the pillars of my company is performance. Like I wanted to make something that works and that people like to use. Yeah. Um. So yes, obviously I'm proud of the um, the environmental impact it has, but the performance side of it too is I'm super stoked with that. Like the design that I created over the years and like it's pretty simple it's a super simple organic shaped mm. design but yeah i'm proud that the the performance of the product is, is as good as its environment environmental impact which you definitely demonstrated in that yeah. session that one you're talking about that was particularly good that was a lot of fun <laughs> that one
0: yeah that was sick i don't think i've ever been that scared <laughs> <laughs> Just paddling out. It's like, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm glad I went out. as an epic For surf. Sure. Um, if you could get people to do one thing to create a positive world that each individual can enact daily, what would that be?
1: It's a big question. Um, like, there's small things that people can do, but then people don't necessarily see that their small impact can make a big difference, which I think is a big challenge. Um, so I think, mm-hmm. like, for me personally, what I, I decided to do was just, I'm aware of all of the issues in the world. There's so many big major things that are going on, like whether it's plastic, it's mental yeah. health, it's racism, it's global warming, whatever. Um, I think just hone in on one of those ones that you feel the most passionate about. Um, yeah. And the thing that you have the most ability to do something about, like I saw an opportunity with the business to, to have an impact in the world of plastics and the ocean. And so I just ran with that. Um, but yeah, I think pick, pick the topic that you want to change the most, that's most relevant to you in your life and, yeah. and just tackle that one thing. Like try not to, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with the amount of issues that mm. are existing in our world right now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the biggest thing that people could do is choose one thing and do it really well. Take one whole topic. Don't just do one little thing, take one whole topic and dive into it as much as you can. See if your work, your life, your hobbies can do anything to, to assist in that issue. Um, but yeah, just, I think for me personally, choose one and do it well. Um, and then you'll have genuine impact.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's super powerful. Creating, creating real meaningful change with just like complete passion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think passion. Like, I wouldn't have got to where I have got to now without passion. Like my, my love mm. for the environment, my love for surfing. Um, it's been the the fire, the fuel for this fire. Like I wouldn't have been able to, get
0: here and burn so long if it hadn't been for that that passion. Yeah. 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 And I think everyone has that sort of unique passion. Like everyone's got that that small little desire that they want to scratch but oftentimes it's whether it's a sort of uh, um, societal thing or something that they're telling themselves that we just squander that that passion and that desire but it's it's ripe in every one of us like we can we can all do those things. So, And you can make the choice at the beginning.
1: You know, like when you have those ideas, when you want to do something new, like mm-hmm. just check yourself before you embark on this thing and be like, right, okay, I'm going to do this new thing. Or I want to try this new thing. Or I want to create this new thing. How can I tweak that to make it good for the world as well? It's much easier to do it at that very initial stage of a new idea or a new project <laughs> Than it is to spend three years building it and then be like right okay how can i turn this whole thing into something that can do good um so start the foundations yeah. right with the right kind of mindset around mm. impact and positive impact um and yeah and then grow from there
0: well thank you for this chat rick i um i appreciate everything that you're doing out there and I'd, i i want to see more of it and um, it'll be really really good to see, um, that new project come into fruition. I think that'll, that'll create some massive positive change in in the culture and in the world. Um, so yeah, thank you for your time. No worries,
1: Any Anytime. What a pleasure.